carrying the microphone for people? Two of you, great, thank you. So if you do have a question, could you indicate and then the microphone check, is going to come to you. There's someone. Can you say more about fear being um, a form of ill will? Fear? Yeah. You know, when I heard for the first time that uh, fear falls under the category of ill will or aversion, I was kind of surprised, but it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's basically a, a movement of contracting, of of. of of turning away from something, you know, we we are uncertain, you know, how how it's going to be, and and therefore we 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 don't want to connect with it. And I, you know, seeing fear as a form of ill will or aversion made it for me a little bit easier, really, to open up to the fear, because you know I understand. At least theoretically, you know, that if I would like to live more in harmony with the way things are, I have to be willing, you know, to turn towards whatever is arising and, and to open to it and allow it, you know, to inform me. And there's no exception. Even fear is not an exception because I always kind of unconsciously thought fear is, is kind of different, you know, because I, I just uh, didn't really see the the fact, you know, that if it if it's not kind of in, you know, meeting the expectations of the ego, fear is is one way of relating to phenomena. And I think it's really important to have, you know, make space for it and let not about. You know, pushing oneself and, uh, you know, trying to push through with a lot of force, but to make some space for the fear, number one, you know, and to really allow that fear to be there. And then, you know, if there is that space there and giving the fear some attention and being with it, it, it starts to open up and we can, we can go further. So it's just like, one of the ways, you know, how we can be challenged. And and one way, you know, of working with fear is, is to kind of be aware, you know, that we are not alone and, and taking it in, you know, there's uh, other people also practicing who most likely go through in many ways the same experiences as I do. And I'm not alone with it. And then if there is maybe under certain circumstances, if there's trauma, you know, some real very strong states of fear, we might need some help, you know, from somebody who is trained in that. There are some therapy forms, you know, or different uh, ways of working with trauma. Sometimes that is probably the right way, you know, of going about it for some time and then continuing on one's own. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Four hands. 
So that this, I think you had your hand up last time. Oh, it's over here. Okay. Five. <clears throat> Was it over here? You have the mic. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. <clears throat> Sometimes when I'm in this environment, it feels very, the mind feels very natural in awareness, in just being with the beginning and endings of things. But then the conventional mind uh, gets worried somehow Mm -hmm. that if I'm not planning, worrying, remembering, all those things that somehow something bad will happen. And so uh, I keep feeling this sort of pull in both directions. And so I was feeling that today and I just wondered if you could comment, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, in, in some ways it's a little bit similar to the fear. I mean, the fear is, is like the... the in a way, it's like the, the bottom line of the ego, and, and it, when the, the, it's, it's kind of like the la, in a way the last thing to go, the, f- the sense of fear. Um, maybe that's not quite right, but and with uh, part of that is, is worrying and planning and and having the idea of being able to be in control. Basically, that's basically it. And and the you know the ego, the the sense of self feels fear when it's. Not, it's starting to realize that it's not in control. And that's very frightening for an ego. And then the, the awareness you speak about, which can just know the beginnings and endings of things, it doesn't need an ego. It's, it's, perfectly, it's operating perfectly all right without anyone controlling anything. And uh, I think what happens is we, we divide, we sort of separate out that's, that's you know, because usually we, we experience that in... in uh, well-held settings. So this place is, this situation is very well-held. You know, we, we've got everything we need and it's safe and it's good and it's beautiful and, and we've got good company and all of that. And, and so there can be like a relaxing and then it allows that resting into awareness or however you would like to say it. And and, um, and, the, and then there can be a fear that if we don't make ourselves, you know, be concerned and plan and worry and feel feel edgy that wisdom won't operate you know and and because we're only experiencing that in in the sort of held settings where we're not keeping it all together but you know really wisdom operates from if you look at nature nature doesn't have to worry and plan it 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 does what it does it's 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 extraordinarily brilliant in its manifestation is, is beyond that any brain could ever work out or, or manage you know we couldn't manage that if we were having to manage all of this even this body if we had to kind of keep it all under control and say okay now I'm going to put in these foods and then you've got to do this with it and then you've got to do that and this has got to come in here and even breathing we couldn't do it it's doing itself nature is very intelligent in that respect and and so it's, it's, it's similar we think that we have to work out how to do everything and, and keep it all under control but if we know, you know, once one knows how to do things, just life motivates us. It, you don't have to. Uh, so it's it's like the the ego thinks it has to keep worrying, and, and in a way, it keeps a good foothold in the you know keeps its foot in the door by keeping that worrying going. Whereas the awareness knows it, it, it just it can just be, 
And just being doesn't mean doing nothing. It means being attuned to nature. And nature is wonderfully creative and, and intelligent. So it's like learning how to trust the awareness and that that, would, that will come into practical situations where we have to make decisions and, and, and you know, do things and produce things and make limits. And just to trust that the awareness is, is the most useful support for that, more than worrying, more than, more than fear, more than the sense of having to be in control. And and it's probably be you know a meshing of the two, shifting out of the, between the two. But I think over over with practice and more confidence in in the in the awareness itself that that mindfulness is that sati is what will support us best in making decisions and in know you know in in responding wisely and so on. And sometimes you know that means putting a lot of energy in and being really really. Yeah, you know, really very energetic with something. Sometimes it means holding back, and sometimes it means having a conversation. Sometimes it means being quiet. But the, it's just trusting that 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 will come without the worrying. Yeah. And uh, something I used to worry a lot when I was a child. I had a lot, a lot of anxiety when I was a, a little girl. And uh, I mean, it's kind of extreme. But my dad would say, "What's the worst thing that can happen?" You know. Just what's the worst thing that could happen? And I'd think, well, what is the worst thing that could happen, actually? You know, I could die. I suppose that's, that sort of seemed like the worst thing. And, and then it's like, well, then that would be that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> then you're with that, aren't you, you know. So at one point it just sort of seemed irrelevant. It was the, it's, just a, it's just this stressful thing one's adding on top of life. So that can be helpful just to think what's... Not if you're then going to start worrying about the worst thing that's going to happen and that doesn't work. <laughs> But if it can take you to a place of just like, oh yeah, you know, try that. So you at the back have been trying for a while. And thank you for being here. Likewise. Let me see, I'm not on Facebook, by the way, which was a very good choice for me. But I'm, I'm feeling like there's so much lying going on across the board. And, and recently, with people that I thought I knew... Um, whether it be by email, there's just a lot of, I don't know what you want to call it, not truth-telling. And if I try to clarify, not right or wrong, but just to clarify, then I'll get sort of an angry email with a lie on top of the other lie. And I start feeling stressed about being around this person once it happens, let's say, two or three times. And... um, I just wanted to hear any comments just about what I consider to be lying is the new normal, but it's not my normal. I think you have to choose, you know, wisely with whom you kind of have these email exchanges, you know. If if it's like, if you're really sure that they are lying because... I don't know why you're so so sure that that you know that. Because it, I don't know, but if you, if you're really convinced that that's what they are, are doing, maybe then you just don't continue to have conversations and keep you know to the people who are not doing this. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's sort of what I've done after it happens multiple times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do email much because mm-hmm. I find that's really a nest for misunderstandings. Yeah. Um, as I said, I'm not on Facebook, thank heavens. And um, I don't text very much either. <laughs> and I just do it for confirmation of different things. Yeah. Um, but there seems to be an acceptance of... Um, uh, lying is a harsh word, but it seems to be sort of across the board. A lot of misinformation, yeah. And I think you have know, uh, recently heard somewhere, you know, in the past, information was power, you know, to, to have a lot of information was power because it was hard to come by, you know, just like the last few centuries, you know. Last few centuries, people had like in a whole lifetime as much information as we have maybe in a week available now. So, and nowadays, you know, power is to know which information to just not even bother to go into and leave to one side and what to really, you know, kind of take in. So, we have, this is just like how it is in this day and age, you know. It's a lot of consumerism, not only in terms of shopping things, but also in terms of information and everything, you know. And this is just part and parcel of a time, you know, where there is so many devices, you know, so easily accessible for everybody. Of course, you know, if that proliferates, then the kind of false information also proliferates. This is just like a side product, you know. And and to just make boundaries, you know, and don't take it in, you know. It's the same like I don't eat, you know, like too much sugar, for example, or don't eat like, you know, foods which are bad for you. Don't take in this information. You don't have to, you know. And it's just part and parcel of proliferation. Everything proliferates. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a, a way of caring for yourself, you know, making boundaries, not taking it in. You know, and, and then you already say you're not on Facebook, you don't do a lot of emails, you already have boundaries, and also have to maybe do a bit more. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. At the back. Uh, first of all, thank you for your practice and for coming here today. And uh, Sister Anna Bodhi, you said this morning you talked about desire, renunciation, and the th- was the third one wisdom? So I was talking about uh, sensual desire, yeah, right uh-huh. thoughts. So sensual desire, uh-huh. uh, and, and its opposite, renunciation, uh-huh. and um, hatred, okay. and its opposite, compassion, okay. or, or the wish to harm, and it's actually it's the wish to harm, and its opposite, compassion, and then uh, ill will, and its opposite, uh, metta or benevolence. Uh-huh. So yeah, and right one more thing: thought. can you talk about the difference between renunciation and aversion? Yeah, very, very different. It's easy to renounce things when we're reverse. You're just like, bleh! <laughs> Renunciation is generally, generally um, around things that we kind of like or that, that, that are comfortable, you know, and that, but it, we know that for, you know, using them or you, it, is not going to help us. So sugar was just mentioned. So like, you know, if you, if you know you're going to get sick from sugar, then you renounce using sugar, and it may be kind of hard to do, but it's... The, the result is better than, than the, the short-term pleasure of having the sugar. So it's a very, very simple example. And uh, 
you know, there can be bigger things that come up in one's life, like, you know, maybe fall in love with somebody who's, who's already in a relationship and then, you know, you can go into that and get into a big mess or you can renounce the potential story of what might be and just let it go. You know, there's many, there's many things. And then there's also, you know, we live in, a, in America, the standard of living is, is very high, generally, not everywhere, but generally. And the expectation is very high to, to have what one wants. And that has repercussions on others, you know, others. So in order to sustain the amount of energy that's used and the clothing and enormous refrigerators and all that, it, others, you know, people have to work for very little in somewhere else, often. So then there can be just like taking in the whole picture rather than just like, I want to get what I want. I have a right to have what I want. Then you take in the whole picture. Well, what is, it, what is the whole picture of this thing? And then sometimes when you take in the whole picture, you're like, nah, you know, I'm just going to let that go. I actually don't need it. So renunciation is, is giving up something good in order to make room for something better. Yeah. Anybody else a yes, question? You've been asking for ages at the front. Here. The lady in black there. You were here last time we saw you. My sister and I it was in St. John's Wood in London. That's right. Yes, yes. and here we are. At How the, lovely. Just super <laughs> exciting to be here. Yeah. Um, I had, mm-hmm. yeah, I had <laughs> just, if I can just shove two questions in, I don't know if I'll be allowed, but anyway, my first one is, Following up on what you you told us this morning, which of the li- literature that you brought would you suggest one picks up to, you know, delve into what you were talking about the, the eightfold path? Because it's just talking about a lot of information. There's I think you know they all kind of pertain in some way to the eightfold path. But I could have a look when I go out. I don't know what's still there. Okay. You know. I could have a look. I appreciate that. Yeah. I feel a bit lost. Yes. And the second thing I would like to ask you, going back to one's childhood in Britain, mindfulness mm-hmm. was never discussed. Never. Now it's all over the place. Why, no. What's happened? People are waking up. <laughs> I think I used to hear about mindlessness a lot. Mindless. It was actually, it was, a, it was almost like a positive thing. Ah, oh, it was completely mindless, you know. Yeah, As if, like, people weren't, on, weren't trying to control themselves. But, yeah. I think John Kabat-Zinn has had a, a big influence on the, the mindfulness movement. And that his, his system of mindfulness-based stress reduction has, you know, is, is taken off in, in, in all kinds of institutions around the world. But in Britain... The, I'm not sure where it got to, but a, few, a, a friend of, who lives in the UK, she sent me this um, this kind of booklet of of uh, the British government. Like all parties were advocating, or members of all parties were advocating mindfulness in schools, hospitals, prisons, and the workplace. And they were they were trying to bring in you know mindfulness training in all of those systems, which which would be amazing. I don't think they're doing it, but that would be an amazing thing. So I think he, he managed to put a system together that, that could be used by many people and, it, and, is, and it's effective and so it's just spread like wildfire. Yeah. It's but evolution, it's, you know, really, mm-hmm. isn't it? That slowly but surely, you know, things which were not, you know, not in the public centre then come into the centre. I think other things has happened in the same way, isn't it? So, Yeah. 
because it works, you know. And then if it works, then people want to use it. Yeah. <laughs> nice to see you again. Who is next? Just yeah. Hey, thanks for coming. Um, uh, in what you've taught so far, you've taught a lot about the what. So by way of analogy or by example, like what to do. Um, a little more of a question about the how. So when you are, when you catch yourself either when meditating or doing something, you catch yourself being distracted and you're mindful again to the moment. Um, is there something you try to tell yourself in that moment? Is there a bit more, a bit more detail into like the mm-hmm. process? What happens in your minds when you do catch yourselves? Can I know? Yeah, you yeah, both. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, you know it's much more about the how than about the what really. Because it's it's you know if you if you catching yourself you know having a certain reaction to something wanting or not wanting it you know the way how you how you are with yourself that's it's very important you know if there is like if you meet that with aversion that wouldn't be very helpful. So it's it's about you know having uh, giving space to to see really what needs to be you know what, what needs to be met fully you know if that is a, a sense of aversion or a sense of of this strong desire there's underneath something you know something in terms of a, you know, a certain amount of fear or or concern you know is will it be, you know, can I have more of this or can, or can I, how can I make this go away? So it's it's important to not kind of be hard on yourself in order for the whole picture, you know, to, to uh, become clear to you. So the, the how is very important, not just the what. Because, you know, usually... What we are more concerned about is, you know, what we are doing next, and not 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 so much how we are enacting that. Does that make sense? I could just add a little bit, enough, which is sort of I'm not sure which of the two it falls into, but uh, to take it a step further, because the, the, the tendency is, say, in meditation, we we make an intention and we and we they you know, staying with the breath, whatever it might be, and then and then we've wandered off, and then we remember that we've wandered off. The tendency is to to scold ourselves or feel or, to, or feel that we're not good meditators or whatever. So the first thing that the mind comes back to is criticism, and then and then it's like, yeah, I'm not really not very good. I better try harder and knuckle down, and and so the whole thing becomes a bit of a miserable experience. <laughs> and so it's actually very important to to praise, to praise, to to say like to rejoice even that you've remembered you know to, to, to really make that, make that a cause for joy to arise that there's been a moment of mindfulness and awareness and re- you've remembered rather than all of those moments you've forgotten this one you've remembered this is great you're here I'm here so and, and each time you do that it, it, it's more and more pleasant to come back you know just like you know if you were going to go and visit somebody and they always complain that you're late and you're not doing it right and you should be this and after a while you're not going to go around anymore you know but if they're like ah it's great to see you I'm so glad you came then you want to come again you know and it's the same with our mind so really really praising and, and, and kind of bringing that joy up when you do remember and then in terms of the you know not so much in the meditation necessarily but in daily life with the with the, in relation to wrong thought or unskillful thought, Mitya, 
uh, one can be in the, right in the midst of something and about to do something or say something unskillful because the, the thoughts in the mind, and then as soon as you see it, drop it. Doesn't matter how much energy there is in it, just drop it, drop it, drop it. That's that renunciation again as well, because uh, it doesn't matter if you're if you're you know you're halfway. The words are coming out, and you just oh, you know, sorry. Just whatever you do, just just stop. Mid sentence, mid thought, mid action, and that's uh, and you know, and one makes a bit of a fool of oneself doing that. But it's better to do that than to to let the whole thing come out and then clean up the mess later. So yeah. So I'm curious what Buddha's teachings say about ambition and if there's space for it in the Eightfold Path. I'm I mean, there's the four, the four right, the four right efforts, you know, which we are actually speaking about today later. But so effort, you know, effort is vayama. It's 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 part of the noble eightfold path. Wise effort or, or right effort. So you know, without a certain amount of that, the practice won't take off. You know, but then the motivation behind it, you know, if it's like egocentric or if it is in service of, you know, greater awareness, that's the difference, you know. So, you know, what's behind it, you know, what are you after, basically, you know. So we need some energy. And and there's also, you know, energy is a, is one of the seven factors of enlightenment, virya in Pali. Virya is energy and Vayama is effort. So they both, you know, have an important function, but they are like in service, basically, of, you know, being able to bear with unpleasant experience, you know, and not turning away, that kind of effort, you know, rather than running after wanting this or wanting that, you know. And it's like, an, it's not, you know, the, the kind of effort is more like of not shutting down, you know, not collapsing with if there's difficult experience, but to stay open, you know, that's what right effort would be, you know. And and pacing the energy, you know, not kind of putting in a lot of energy and then not doing anything, you know. So to having some kind of, um, you know, pacing oneself and uh, a certain um, balance, you know, that's important as well. So it's more like a marathon, not not like a sprint, you know, the whole practice. And the marathon, it takes lifetimes, you know. So to really know we have all the time in the world, but every moment counts, you know, this kind of uh, effort. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Do you like to? I think there's someone at the back. Okay. Um, I'm really grateful uh, right now to your the teachings or the stories you've shared in your teachings about death. And I lost a, a loved one two weeks ago, and mm. have just been able to really approach the this time 
um, with a lot of your teaching. So I'm grateful and just would love to hear anything else you'd like to share. And uh, especially grateful for your stories about when a nun passed and you were with her body for days. Mm -hmm. And I had a similar experience in some ways. Um, And so um, just asking for more help. I mean, in some ways it's a gift, actually, when somebody, when we can be with the dying process of someone and and be with them even when they die and and stay with that process after they've died. It's uh, it's such a profound teaching to to witness that, you know, especially if it's somebody. It's like when people are old and and we're expecting that they're going to go sometime. It's a, it's still it's intense, but it's more like there's a sense of it. Oh, it's natural, but it's really death is is natural at any time, at any age. And uh, yeah, to be to sort of t- receive it as a as a in a way an honour to have been able to be with that person through that transition, and also to honour one's own loss, you know, that there's a that there's a big gap, and and uh, let the grief come through like in waves, let it let it do what it needs to do, and and uh, one thing that I think is very helpful, it can be very helpful because. When someone dies, you know, we don't, who knows where they go? We don't know what happens next, really. Um, and then there's that sense of a hole in one's own life and uh, from where, where they've been. Is to, is to do a practice, like do something every day and dedicate it to them, for their, wherever they are on the journey now. So it's, uh, so it's like, it, so the, in a way, they, they're... they're journey or their their presence in your in your life and your mind is encouraging you to do something good and then you're sharing that consciously with with them which you know may well help them so that it keeps a sense of connection in a in a very whole very very wholesome way that's just sort of benefiting everybody um, a, fr- a friend of ours uh, in england his wife died suddenly in a car accident she'd just gone to a, a yoga class and was on her way home and just a very, very, almost home, and, and there was this car. The car went into a lamp post, and somebody else was driving, and they were both killed. The both her, his wife and the woman driving, and it was such a shock. And a very able, capable woman, and and she, you know, they just sort of said goodbye like an hour and a half before or whatever. And and he did this practice of uh, a month of kindness. He put it up on the, on Facebook, and it's like a month of kind kindness and encouraging people, you know, friends to also do something kind every day for a month and dedicate the merits of that to her in that process. So something like that can be also very helpful because it brings meaning into what's here. You know, so there's the loss of what's gone, and and then there's the meaning that one can bring into the life as we while we have it. And really give room for the grief, you know, as long as it takes. It can take a long time. Yeah. Anybody else would like to ask something? Over there. Thank you. We can just do as long as... Thank you very much. Um, I had a question from what I heard earlier. It just resonated and I have a a pondering. And it is... um, when I'm with other people, I feel it's very easy to be compassionate and to be loving and forgiving, but then, um, and oftentimes for myself, but there's like those moments that happen that um, make me feel like there's like a lot of ill will towards myself. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you could offer any uh, insight or tools or something like that. Mm. 
I think, you know, it, it can often be more difficult to have compassion with yourself, you know, stay open with your own experience than with other people, yeah. I think you are not alone with that, you know. This, <laughs> I think many people will be able to relate to that. And, and just knowing, you know, when that happens, just knowing this is what happens to lots of people, this is how we are kind of made, you know, and, and, and just having that understanding, having that information, you know, will make it easier, you know, to stay with the unpleasantness of, of that experience, you know, and, 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 and stay with it. You know, you don't have to be anything in particular, just not shutting down, you know. It's good enough. And then I think Ayana Bodhi is planning to do some Brahma-Vihara guided meditation, which is, you know, loving kindness and compassion, sympathetic joy and equanimity, the four divine abidings, they are sometimes called, you know, and that's a, a form of meditation practice which you can use, you know, to kind of make the mind more malleable, you know, so it can stay with difficult experiences. So you could just, you know, pay attention to that guidance and then do it, also, you know, for yourself when you, when you feel, you know, that your mind is contracting and you bring in that form of meditation as a, as a counterbalance, you know. To give, you know, like give a certain suggestion to the mind in order to make it, you know, make it more subtle, make it more um, soft, you know, so it can embrace whatever is there, you know. It's, it's about you know this form of opening to the experience and just letting it be whatever it is you know not not doing that in order to change the experience but the motivation is to just you know use this brahma vihara meditation to be able to just stay open to what is you know and then also remembering that sometimes you know you might you know you might have like a certain experience in your mind and then you try maybe unconsciously even you know you you want it to be a different experience and then from that motivation you go and meet yourself so then there is already an agenda you know a certain a certain pushing away of what's actually happening and that's just like reinforcing the contracted mindset you know so, like, maybe thinking of, you know, if you would have a little child waking up in the night, you know, from a dream and crying, you know, you would just hold it like this. You wouldn't try to explain, you know, about the dream. It wouldn't be able to understand, you know. But what it can understand is if you are just there, you know, and you are just offering that holding, you know. And then whatever is held will change by itself. If you are holding it with and with space and, and with kindness. And, you know, and not really watching, you know, if there's like an agenda there, then just embracing that as well, you know. Okay, there's some fear, you know, it's the fear of it's never going to change and I have to do something about it. And then we also include that into the holding does that make sense to you? Yeah. And and also remembering you are not the only one. 
Hannah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, and the thing is, it's not about getting out of the space, but it's, it's more about accepting that as, that also. You know, that also can be here. That's okay. It's also okay. It's more like, you know, making the space bigger and including everything. Yeah, everything belongs. And then, you know, through that attitude, then, if everything has a space and is allowed to be here, it will change the energy of the experience, you know. Yeah. I just want to add a little something. Yeah, please. I think when you first started, what you first said, I can't see you very well, but you, you said um, there's a key, you know, that, that, that uh, it's easy to be compassionate to other people, but it's very hard to oneself. And I, I think that, like I said, you're saying that's very common, you know, that we that we can be kind and, and really very liberal, you know, with other people's mistakes, but with our own mistakes, we're just so harsh. And there's something about uh, bringing ourselves into the circle, you know. So it's like we're 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 somehow on the edge, looking at everybody else and saying, "Well, that's okay. Well, that that's okay." And then with ourselves, we're not doing that. So there's something about bringing ourselves into the into the ordinary human race, you know, the ordinary fallible human race, and, and that it's okay for us not to be perfect. It's okay for us to make mistakes. It's okay for us to learn. As it is for, for all of those other people we're okay with, you know, so it's like bringing ourselves into that. When you're getting negative reactions from people around you, harder I just feel like it's like the way that I've been describing it the past couple days is like it feels like there's like something that's like obvious about me and that like other people can see really clearly and then like I'm like the last to receive that and then when I do receive that then it feels really painful so I just like know that um, not allowing like the outside the exterior to affect you so much but like sometimes it's like people outside of yourself give you information about what they see mm-hmm. and so um you know sometimes when you pick up that it's some, something that's not really great which is really painful so i just have a hard time kind of uh getting mm-hmm. grounded with that mm-hmm. and creating the space for like full acceptance because i feel like it's um you know like everybody's a mirror and then when you see like those things repeatedly coming up that make you want to reject yourself, it's just hard to um, palette that and create mm-hmm. that space to bring it in and have that peace. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all we're all a mix, aren't we? We're all some good, some not so good. And uh, if if all we're seeing is the reflections of what's not good, then it's it's just deeply depressing and demoralizing and unhelpful. And if all we're seeing is what's good, it's also not helpful, actually. So, I don't know, what what comes to my mind, it's, it's hard because you're in the midst of it, but what comes to my heart and mind is you, you need to, you need to f- f- do the work of accepting, you know, of seeing your own goodness. You need to somehow f- touch the ground and see your own goodness because you're not an intrinsically bad person. That is very clear. 
you wouldn't be in this hall now if you were you wouldn't be sharing what you're sharing now if you were so that's very clear and and to look at you know maybe just like really systematically like look at what what do I do that's okay you know and that's good and what have I done in my life that's that's actually harmless and, and beneficial and, and, and kind of get that down and then that gives you a basis of more of a basis of well-being because it's actually it's actually a good thing to have feedback from other people about the things we need to change it's a good thing and it's something in the monastic life we we ask you know we invite it we say out of compassion you know please show me what I'm doing that's off because I want to I want to kind of I want to go in the right direction so it's 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 not a bad thing to get feedback of stuff that's painful to receive but it's it's destructive if we haven't got a basis of well-being somewhere in there for, for, for onto which it can land so really just looking at uh, you know I mean I used, used to write it down you know what I've done that's good or what I things about myself that are okay because it was so hard to find them because my mind was so attuned to seeing what was wrong which is probably how it goes you know, you, you, you're trained to see what's not right and you're not trained to see what's good you're trained to sort of overlook the good things and look at the things that are wrong and so then we don't see clearly so you have to kind of retrain yourself to see what is good and what is harmless and what is even just okay you know and that all becomes like a like a basis from which we can receive the more challenging feedback. You know, I've just recently heard. I think it's about like it comes five times more easy, you know, to see mm. the negative, negative than bias. the, the yeah, negativity bias, you know, than to see the positive. So, so it's you know, like Anana Bodhi just said, it is really important to to make it a practice to see the good things, you know, six times. Six times more. Yeah. <laughs> and then that will give you the strength, you know, to also be stay open to the not-so-good things, you know. Mm. And then maybe, maybe there, you know, there is like s- some friends, you know, whom you, tr- you have a good relationship, who you trust, and you can have, you know, a quote-unquote reality check, you know. Because is that really true, you know, what, what I'm seeing or what, I'm, what I think, you know, other people... F- you know, reflect back to me, or is that just like, you know, a negativity uh, reinforcement? So you, you ha- it's good to, to to just check in, you know, with some trustworthy friends about that. Yeah, mm. yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, I'm sure you you spoke for more than one person in the room. Yeah, yeah. Mm. you did. Thank you. You can take one more question or so. Really? If any, no, I if think we should stop anybody. now. It's really too... Okay. Less, and then we won't have time for the meditation. Yeah. So. so just let us, you know, let us... So we could, just, we could just stretch our legs a minute. Stand, or a few minutes standing up. And I'm going to just change it now. So you can have the, so you have the time. So. Yeah, yeah, no, you give it now. Yeah, but I mean, we can, we can just change, we can just not do the so walking do meditation. And, and this is time, so you're gonna have to tell them about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, I will, of course. Because I cannot. Do-
Okay, so we're going to have a period of walking meditation now. So you can stretch your legs, get some fresh air. And it's a half hour period, so there'll be a bell at uh, 2.25, something like that. 2.25. And then come back in and they'll, I'll do a guided meditation on the, on the, the heart. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.